You're listening to the Ambition Incubator podcast, and I'm your host, Deirdre Morrison. My thing is helping people understand how our brains work so that we can be better and do better in any area of life that's important to us. So as well as bite-sized brain science, I'll be bringing you interviews and advice from experts and guests who specialize in working with entrepreneurs and leaders to help them explore potential, possibilities, and ways to be more effective. And the best bit? We can start right now. Sometimes AI does get it right. And the auto match with my next guest, Steve Fredland, was about as fortuitous as they come. Although Steve and I had only spoken for a few minutes before recording this episode, it was absolutely evident that Steve's passion for helping small businesses and nonprofits is the real deal. Time flew so quickly that I didn't even get round to asking him half the things I'd originally planned. But this show is for you if you're a small, small business, whether you've been at it for years or you're just starting out. If you're a nonprofit, if you're a traditional long-standing brick and mortar business, what Steve calls a mom and pop shop, and you're wondering if there's room to make it more before calling it a day. Or if you just want to hear what it's like when someone is truly 100% behind their goal to serve not just their clients, but the wider community as well. So Steve, thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to have you with me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm excited to be here. Steve, um, I would love to ask you some questions about your what seems like a really innovative approach to working with small businesses. Now, you have founded Small Small Business. Can you tell us a little bit about that first? Yeah, it's really, it's coaching, consulting, training, masterminds, whatever is needed by businesses, but really focused on, like the title says, small, small business. Uh, because what I found is when, I, when we started this thing about three and a half years ago, it was all about small business, serving small businesses. And what I realized pretty quickly is that a lot of small businesses are pretty big. Um, you know, they're, they have hundreds of employees, they have millions of dollars of revenue, and they're able to afford or even have in-house the kind of support that they need to help their business succeed. But it's those micro businesses, the, the mom and pop shops, the aspiring entrepreneurs, the, you know, just those small partnership people, the five employees or less kind of folks that are just, they just don't get the level of service. They can't afford to buy the coaching consulting to really help their businesses. What's really available is some of the free stuff that comes through the government. And some of that is pretty good, but it's just not at the same level as some of the other businesses. And so what happens is they sort of are stuck where they are. They can't get that level of support to take their business to the next level. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that that was a gap, uh, but also recognizing that they are kind of the lifeblood of our communities, um, especially in like rural communities where it's the small business owners, the mom and pop shops, the barber shops, the flower shops. These are the folks that they they live there, they work there, they play there, they they volunteer there, they give their money there, they hang out with their kids there. Like they are the lifeblood of these communities, and a lot of them are are failing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just because they're not getting the level of insight and expertise that they need to help their businesses uh, thrive. And so it was recognizing that gap and recognizing their importance in our communities. Uh, that led me to say, this is where I need to be plugged in for the rest of my working life. Yeah, because it's it's really, it's like an ecosystem, isn't it? As you say, I mean, these are the people who are not just working there and running the businesses there, but they are also the people who are the community itself. So it's a weave, isn't it? It's not just about supporting a business uh, where people then drive home to the suburbs. Right. It's about their business. It's about how they contribute to the community, like we've been talking about, and also how other people in the community view that. So. You know, I've been part of a community. I know a lot of communities where small businesses start closing up shop even before the pandemic and now worse 
even that. And it just sort of it guts the community, especially people that have been there for a few generations. They see all of these stores that they used to know, and now they're gone, and they've been replaced by big box stores. And it's sort of depressing. And on the other hand, as those businesses thrive, and there's more of them that sort of pop up in downtowns and Main Street start to get revitalized, it creates this community pride. And so it's even bigger than just those individual owners. It's it's this community thing that a lot of folks uh, are really, really reliant on more so than they even realize to have that sense of pride about uh, where they live and who they belong to. And tell me, um, Steve, the, the businesses that you are working with, are are they do they tend to be newer or older businesses? They tend to be newer, but it's um, uh, there, there's a several older businesses that we work with, but they do tend to be newer because those are often the people that are the hungriest. Uh, they just started the business or they're just looking to start a business and they know they need some help. And um, those are the folks that are kind of looking and they find me and they're like, OK, this is what I need to help. Um, and we, we work with a lot of state programs that are catered toward newer businesses, people wanting to start business that we get involved with there as well. So it's a lot of newer businesses. But uh, as I've gone to chambers and people start telling stories about you know the impact that having an outside person uh, helping them with things, then you get some of the older people start going, hmm, let's check this out. Uh, but it tends to be a little bit polarized in terms of the age, like I said, the newer. And then the older ones, it tends to be the people that are going, shoot, uh, I'd like to retire in five years. I'd love to be able to sell my business as an asset, but I haven't even thought about that. Now I need help figuring that out. And mm-hmm. it's interesting because, yeah, we can help both of those people, but there's that that big gap in the middle of people that are maybe 10, 15 years into their business, still 10 or 15 years away from selling it, that should really be thriving. Uh, and they're not. They're plateaued and they're stuck. Yeah. They're just, but they're not sure what to do. And I think for whatever reason, getting outside help is either an issue of pride or resources or time or something. But they're not getting the help that they need. And boy, they could really uh, benefit from it. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, some of the resources that um, are available through government agencies and so on. I mean, I, I agree, and I've seen stuff like that here as well, where um, these things come through. And if a business has been in operation for maybe 15, 20, 30 years or whatever, and people have been doing their thing and they're in their way of doing their thing, um, and then this comes along and it's it, it might as well be in a foreign language. It doesn't actually make a lot of sense. You do sometimes need that one-to-one person to teach you that language, to help you get um, get your mind into the way of thinking about things in a, in a different light. Yeah, hundred a hundred percent. And I think one of the resistances to that is people think, well, how can a coach or a consultant help me who has never, for example, roofed a house? Right. If I have a roofing business and here's all this new information or things that I could take advantage of or whatever, and I need help sorting it out either to grow my business or mm-hmm. take advantage of something. But well, they've never roofed a house. So how can they possibly help me? I think there's this there's this resistance that I think people don't really get it. Um, that actually people that are trained and have experience in business uh, acumen and some of those things can apply that broadly. Um, So I think that is one of the resistance things, but yeah, Yeah. you need a translator in a lot of those pieces. And it's probably like, like sort of the tax law for a lot of individuals or I'm in the United States, but you know, the tax law for income taxes can be very, very confusing. And the people that have people that can actually help them weed through it benefit more than the people that don't. And it's almost the same thing in business. Some of the, mm. the business landscape ecosystem, you know, as you described it, can be very complex, knowing where to get resources and how to take advantage of things and who to connect with. And if you're just doing that on your own without that experience or that knowledge, um, you're, you're going to be at operating suboptimally compared to somebody who has somebody that kind of helped them 
tap into the resources and take advantage of the programs. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, as we talked before coming on about um, a sort of a, almost a sense of apathy that exists among people who are maybe seeing a decline in business and could really do with um, somebody to coach or guide them or, you know, give them that big picture view rather than the nitty gritty that they are constantly stuck in day in, day out. Um, but you, you've come up with a, a very novel approach to this, Steve. I was really interested in um, your Prove It uh, initiative. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, it's either going to be amazing or it's going to fail, but I'm okay. You know, we try it, but I'm, I'm, very, excited. <laughs> I'm very excited about it because the, the apathy thing that we talked about is, is so prevalent. And I need your help. I need people like they understand the human brain to understand why this is. But so many people that I talk to, I say, man, I just, I want to, I want to make more money. I want to work less hours. You know, I just, I, I'm just stuck in this thing and I'm not really enjoying being a small business owner. And I'll even offer them, I'll say, hey, let's just sit down for an hour, no charge. Let's just talk about this and figure out there's just so much apathy. People are like, ah, it'll, it'll be fine. Well, they've been saying that for 10 years that it'll be fine and it's not fine. And so either they're lying about how dissatisfied they are or they don't really want it to change for some reason. Maybe it's their identity, maybe because we relate to being busy and poor and that's just what we want. I don't know what it is, but there's this apathy that we're finding all the time where it's just like, People eventually just say, ah, it, it's fine. What do you mean it's it's not fine? You're about to close your yeah. doors and you even express disdain at that, but you're saying it's fine. It's not fine. And so I'm trying different ways to break through that. So, you know, there, there's a lot of clients that I have that um, just want results, right? And I'm, I'm kind of this way. And so what we were talking about is I'm kind of this way with my own business. Like I would love to have people help me with different areas, social media or becoming a better speaker and all of these things. And then when you talk to them, the price tag is so expensive. And I'm like, I can't just write a check for that. Um, ben, could we do anything based on results? Like I'll pay you more than what you're even asking if if it results in where I'm trying to go, you know? And they're like, no, we don't do things results oriented. And so that's kind of where this all comes from. This idea of prove it is about offering to people an opportunity to work with me one-on-one um, where it's going to be results-based. And I'm going to prove it to you that this thing works. And so what I do is I just, I'm offering, it's a very limited, I take like maybe two clients a week for 10 hours. Uh, and I say, all right, here's the deal. 10% of what I normally charge is what you're going to pay. Uh, that's fixed, but there's a money back guarantee even on that. If you don't think the value is there, uh, money back even on that. If you think the value is there, then I'm going to give you an opportunity to pay me more, but that's not even required. Just, I'm asking for 10 hours to just mm -hmm. prove that the, the impact that this can have on your business. And so that is the program, the Prove It Business. So I've got a little short five-question form that people fill out. The first two questions are like your name and your email. Um, and the other three are just like, you know, how could, how could this transform <laughs> your business? You know, it's super simple, but I'm yeah. really trying to make it accessible to people that say, I want help, or at least I want to try this out without paying a ton of money. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, business coaches, consultants are, are expensive, man. And so even though my rates are lower than what they are, because I want to be accessible to small business owners, it's still, I understand, it's still a big check to write when you're running a mom and pop shop. So that's the, the idea is to say, all right, I'm willing to invest time where I'm going to get paid very, very little, if, if, if anything at all, for an opportunity to prove it to you that this can actually mm -hmm. transform your business and make our communities more vibrant. And of course, the other um, the other group of businesses that you serve is, is not for profits, and they are instrumental in creating and building and helping communities thrive as well, aren't they? Uh, I have such a heart for nonprofits. So I've I've been on the board of several. I've started one or well, I've started a couple. 
Uh, and I am just so convinced that nonprofit leadership is harder than business leadership. Uh, and I've told people this, I think the going forward, I think the best corporate leaders are going to come out of the nonprofit sector because you can't, and I've done mm. this, like I can't threaten you or even sub, subconsciously have like a paycheck hanging over your head, right? Most nonprofits are fueled by donations, which are voluntary, and they're fueled by volunteer hours, which are voluntary. And so you have to lead by vision, mm. right? You have to have a, a vision for what you're trying to do and get people engaged and belonging and owning it and creating movement and momentum and all those things. And leadership, I think, is a lot harder in the nonprofit sector than in the corporate sector where, yeah, it might be millions and billions of dollars, but you can just say, if you don't want to do the job, I'll find somebody that will, or I can increase your bonus and all of these sort of levers that you have in addition to vision and mission and and those things. So I've got a real heart for nonprofit uh, leadership, especially because a lot of people that are in nonprofit leadership could be getting paid a lot more to be doing a lot of other things, but they have this passion for what they believe in, and they're able to rally people around that. So yeah, so I'm, I'm getting excited about nonprofits, but but yeah, so I serve nonprofits in the same way. Um, you know, we're, we're just trying to do the best we can again because they are the lifeblood of these communities. When you know, yeah. when you have a community that has you know vibrant nonprofits that are doing amazing things, man, it, there's community pride swells mm-hmm. and people engage with it and like, yeah, hey, I heard about this program over in this county. Oh yeah, I'm from there. We're so excited about that. Like you know, creates this, this excitement in an ecosystem that's very positive. And so, yeah, I'm, you know, man, whenever I get a chance to serve a nonprofit, that's great. And, you know, as from a consulting perspective, there's a lot of funding available to nonprofits as well. So we have an opportunity to take advantage of some programs where, you know, nonprofits are trying to figure out how to, you know, do more leadership development among their board of directors. And so we can actually work with programs mm-hmm. that we have access to so they don't have to write a big check to get somebody to come in and do board development. So, it's a it's, that's a great program there when you can start linking that together. But again, like small businesses, a lot of nonprofits don't really know how all of that works and what programs they can plug into and what funding is available to them. Well, so as we're on the topic then of nonprofits, Steve, what would be two or three things that you would advise to people who are throwing their hearts and souls into community work or something else that is, um, you know, that is not earning them a paycheck um, and they are managing volunteers, they're managing resources for um, what are the things that they need to be thinking about in terms of keeping the, the keeping this thing on the road and helping it and the community around it to thrive? Yeah, two things come to mind immediately. One is clarity. I always come back to clarity, 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 clarity. Mm. What are you really trying to do as an organization or even as a leader? You know, not what you feel like you mm. should be doing, not what people expect of you to do. What are you really trying to do with that with that nonprofit? You know, because there are a lot of great things that could be done, mm-hmm. a lot of needs that are out there. But what truly is what you're trying to do? And then get your get your whole leadership team aligned to that. Because when I've worked with nonprofit boards, one of the things one of the first things I do usually is I send a little survey out to everybody that's going to be at a meeting or whatever and say, all right, in your own words, what is the vision of the organization? And it is amazing how many different answers come back. And they're all great, but they're very yeah. different. And I'm like, well, this is why you're struggling. And like point one, when we get together is here's, you know, I don't call anybody out individually, but I say, here's the problem that you guys have right away. Every decision you're making is being looked through seven different lenses around what you're trying to accomplish. So get clear on what you're trying to do, mm-hmm. get your leadership team involved. And then the second one would just be belonging, uh, giving people an opportunity to plug in in a way that makes sense for them, where they feel like they belong to something that's happening 
We mm-hmm. all, I think, well, I can't say all, but I think almost all of us want to be part of something bigger. We want to be, we want to matter. We want to have impact. We want to be part of a movement. We want to be on the winning team. Like we want to belong, right? And I think that's why a lot of nonprofits are yeah. successful because they give people avenues to belong. Um, and I think as a leader, I think that is your responsibility is to figure out how can we help people connect to this in a way where they're not just sending money, they're not just, you know, serving in, lo- in a line and in delivering food, but where they feel like they truly belong, like they're part of an organization. And, you know, the nonprofits that I've started, mm-hmm. I always tell people like, here's when I knew this was going to work is when people would start emailing me or calling me and saying, you know what we should do? And just the fact that they use the word we is just like, we're there. Yeah. We're there. You know, when people, if you're the kind of leader, people are saying, you know, are connected, but they're saying, hey, you know what, you know what you should do? You know what you should do? You know what you guys should do? Um, that's one thing. When they email you and call you and they say, you know what we mm-hmm. should do? Oh, you're there. Like that is, that is a great signal that you are getting the ownership engagement because without ownership and engagement and a sense of belonging, you're only going to go so far. But now that people own it, they're yeah. going to tell, they're going to go to Christmas, right? And they're going to tell people, hey, you know what, know what I'm involved with? Know what we are doing in Isani County? Versus, oh, yeah, I'm spending some time working at the soup kitchen. Two totally different things. One is just sort of matter of fact, how am I spending yeah. my time? The other is making people go like, oh, man, I wish I belonged to something like that. And that's what grows momentum and movements. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like that classic difference between, as you said, spending time doing something at the soup kitchen or investing your time in a vision of what yeah. the future can be. Yeah, and they're both they're both great. They're both needed, but one is only going to go so far. One is a transactional piece, and it yeah. does make you feel good for the moment. But if you're invested in that soup kitchen or the food shelf or you know the neuroscience work that you're doing, if I'm invested in it, I'm going to be thinking about it all the time. I'm not just going to be going waiting for my one hour shift on Tuesdays. I'm going to be thinking about it. man, how could we change this organization? How could we get more people involved? How could we raise more money? I'm going to be Hearing, I'm going to be reading some article about some company or some organization that got a grant, wondering, hmm, could we get a grant for that? You know, it's just, that's what creates movement, not just rallying people to sign up for an hour on Tuesdays. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are these are the things that change the world for the better. I mean, I don't think it's, it's overstating the case no. to say that, is it? No, I 100% agree. And it's, mm. it's these little by little things like, there's opportunities to do big things, right? Some people do big, massive things. You know, they they come up with a vaccine for COVID or they cure polio or they do work in Africa and all these things that are amazing and great or whatever. But it's that it's that day in, day out, constant, you know, creation of movements inside of our communities, inside of these small, that, that should not be understated. And I fear that they are because it's hard to do headlines on those, but those are the things that change the world. Just like I would argue... You know, people are like, how can I, how can I make a big impact in the world? Man, here in Minnesota, in the United States, go shovel your neighbor's sidewalk of snow in the winter. Like, go do that. Like, that's changing the world. You know, go offer to get groceries for a shut-in once yeah. a month. That's changing the world. And I think we, we somehow devalue that in our, in our life because we don't have that same sense of community. But those are the things that change the world. People are like, oh, man, I should get involved in Africa and do that. Well, if that's your heart, go do that. But you go over every week and you bring groceries to your mother-in-law who's shut in or whatever. Like, don't diminish that the fact that you are changing the world. So I, I get all excited about this. You'll have to cut me off. But yeah, that's those are the things that change the world. Steve, I think actually, you know, we've we've probably almost 
found the way back to where we started in the conversation because, you know, what I see a lot here in, I, I live in East Belfast in Northern Ireland mm-hmm. and we um, we had a massive industrial uh, complex here, really, um, from the 1800s through the middle of the 1900s. Um, we built ships. We built a Titanic, as pretty much everyone mm-hmm. in the world knows. Yeah. And then that entire industry basically collapsed and failed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there was from this massively thriving community that we had, we have um, we've seen it kind of almost almost be stripped away. And what is now what it seems like is happening now is that you know some amazing nonprofits have moved in and they have um they are they tend to be like arts communities um and various other uh, sort of there there's um some people who have converted uh, an old railway line to a linear park and you know, some amazing things are coming out of that but again these the, it is people who are doing this because they love the place Mm-hmm. You know, they they are they're giving so much to this and it then is drawing back other things to the community. It's drawing back the, um, the you know, the pretty little shops and the businesses and the coffee shops and the visitors and the walking tours and all of those things are coming back on the back of those nonprofits. Is that is that something that's repeated? Yeah, that that's a common thing, especially in places like that, where you've got this big historic context that's been lost. And I think, uh, you know, I think when you can reinvent yourself that way, it's sort of a, it's a microcosm. It's what we do as individuals, right? When things happen or our lives change, we have different ideas, mm-hmm. we sort of reinvent ourselves. And that's what communities need to do as well. And some communities, I think, mm-hmm. struggle with this because they want to hold on to the past so tightly that they're unwilling to reinvent themselves. Like, no, yeah. come hell or high water, we're going to be an industrial, we're going to build Titanics again. Like, that's what we're going to do. And I don't care what anybody says. This is who we are. This is our identity. And I'm going to do this. And I don't care what anybody says. This is what, you know, some communities kind of hold on to that. And I think then they struggle year after year, decade after decade, because they never free themselves from their past. Whereas, you know, communities that can say, you know what, that's mm-hmm. the past. And we're going to honor that. And we're going to do things in maybe some of those buildings. And we're going to tie back to it and, and you know, kind of lean on that and, and acknowledge that. But that's not who we are going forward. Um, and that's hard for some generations mm-hmm. to do that. But I think the ones that are successful in making a transition are able to re-identify who they are now in the context of who they were before. And it's such a great, it's, it's true of small businesses that have been ravaged by COVID, right? You can just hang on to it and say, no, I don't need a website because people come into my shoe store. Well, they're not going to, they're not going to stop it, you know, mm-hmm. or I'm going to be the kind of leader that demands everybody's in the office. I don't care if there's COVID. I don't care post COVID now that everybody's realized they can do work from home virtually. I'm going to force people to be in here. You can do that, but you're going to really struggle. And I think uh, same thing with those communities. And so the fact that you've got a community that's now saying, all right, we're going to open this up. We're going to create, whether it's grants or just, you know, individual businesses or nonprofits that come in and, and sort of rechange what what the city looks like. I think that's beautiful. And I think that's necessary. Mm. It's going to be met with resistance, of course, from the old guard that says you're not honoring, you know, this. But that's what you, that's transition. That's transformation. And just like individuals mm. struggle with transformation because of wanting to hold on to what's old, uh, cities are the same. But yeah, nonprofits fuel that so much because it's often, like you said, it's people that, man, I care about mm. the city so much. What can we do to beautify this city? Let's create arts things. Let's put murals on walls. Let's do chidewa- you know, sidewalk chalk painting. You know, whatever it is, let's 
man, because I love this city. And those are the people that you got to find those people and say, those are need to be the people that become city council members and mayors and governors, because those are the ones that get community. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I completely and utterly love everything you've just said. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's easier said than done, but that's the, that's the heartbeat. And, but what we do is, you know, we end up sort of saying, well, they don't have the experience to be on city council. You've got to find the person that, you know, was part of the, you know, their grandfather helped build the Titanic. They're the ones that need to be on the, on the city council. And they, they just, they're not going to have the same heart. And so you're going to be left with a city that doesn't have the same heart. Oh, Steve, that it's just given so much food for thought, I think. And, you know, all of anyone who's listening who is involved in nonprofits, um, who is involved in those small businesses who are not um, maybe fulfilling their potential or, or getting the help that's available, please <laughs> take a look at Steve's website um, and do do make a point of recognizing that there are things there to help with the possibilities and exploring those. There, there are. And I think, you know, my, my role, I'm a question asker, like that's what I do. And so you can chat with me for 30 minutes for free, whatever. And all I'll do is ask questions, figure out what's going on, or we can try the prove it thing or whatever, or I can refer you to somebody else. But man, it, like, like you're saying, and I, sorry, I cut you off there with a little bit of a delay, but just don't, don't go another week. It doesn't have to be me. It could be anybody else. Don't go another week sort of in misery with your business or nonprofit or even your personal life. Like, Let's go. Take some steps now. There are people that can help you, even if you don't think they can. Fantastic. Such wise words. And again, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Steve. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, and thank you for having this conversation. Yeah, it's been great. I wish we had more time. I want to hear more of your story. And now I'm all <laughs> I'm all excited about what's going on with you, with you guys. But no, I've loved it. Thank you for having me. You're still here? Great. Look, I know there's a lot to choose from out there, so thanks for flying with Ambition Incubator Airlines. And I look forward to seeing you on board again soon. Seriously, though, thank you for tuning in. My guests and I love hearing about what inspires you on the show and what advice has made a difference in your life or work and what you'd like more of. So get in touch. If you want to know about my other work, head over to ambitionincubator.com for details. And don't forget to hit subscribe for more great interviews, advice, and bite-sized brain science every week. 